I'm Heather. And I'm Susan. Come along with us on a journey through the book of Judges here on the Bible Book Club. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. In chapters 15 and 16, Samson and the Philistines begin a cycle of revenge and retaliation, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. But the Philistines know that Samson has a weakness for women. So when Samson falls in love with Delilah, they know they've got him. They find out and they bribe Delilah. Delilah, of course, betrays Samson, which leads to the Philistines gouging his eyes out. And then Samson, in his final act, when he finally turns to the Lord, he bravely kills 3,000 Philistines in the temple and dies along with them. In this episode, we begin the dark days of Israel and You have to know that the book of Judges has this subtle message running throughout that there must be more. This isn't the way it should be. There must be more. Our discussion of the 12 Judges is complete, but the conquest of the land and the rescue of the people is very incomplete. While each judge provided periods of peace, Israel's spiritual decline progressed. To put a point on just how bad Israel's decline had become, the final five chapters zoom in on the people themselves. No judge is mentioned. The people's behavior is so depraved, it is difficult to comprehend. This period is often called the darkest days of Israel because it was so dark. The author of Judges set these last chapters apart with a subtle change of the key phrase. In the previous chapters in Judges, the phrase, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, was the key phrase that introduced each of the six major judges. We read it an extra time in the introduction to make it seven times total, God's number of perfection. But in these final five chapters, the author shifts the perspective, hinting at the solution to Israelites' problem, that there must be more. The new key phrase is, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This phrase will bookend these final five chapters. It will appear in the beginning and it will appear at the end of Judges. Fortunately for us, it does not end the entire Bible. God is pointing us to the bigger story, the story that encompasses the entire Bible. The point is doing evil in the eyes of the Lord was not just a problem for the Israelites. It has been a problem since the fall in season one of Genesis. It is a problem for all of us. It is the human condition. And what God is pointing out in these final five chapters is that because of this problem of sin, everyone did as they saw fit because in those days, there was no king. Israel needs a king and we need a king. Of course, Israel will try lots of kings in the coming seasons of Bible Book Club before they realize that, yes, they need a king, but an earthly king is not going to do it. David will come close, but he too will fall short. No, what Israel needs is for God to be king. It will be a long journey through the Old Testament before that king finally arrives in Israel in the New Testament. Back to our story in the final chapters. 
of Judges, where we are going to zoom in for a street-level view of life in Israel during Israel's dark days of depravity. Scene one, the story of the manipulative Micah, chapter 17. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make an idol. It was put in Micah's house. Now, this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as a priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So let's be clear from the start. Micah is not a man of good character. We're not even going to go into the mother. Micah was not a boy when he stole from his mother. He was a grown man old enough to have a grown son. Who does that? Now, Micah's confession is not motivated by faith, but by fear. He came clean because he was afraid of the curse his mother uttered that he overheard. Micah's mother is indulgent. Rather than censure her son for stealing, she blesses him. Micah and his mother are irreverently religious. They want a religion, but they want to make it up as they go along. They are trying to manipulate God into what they see as fit for their worship. Remember, everyone is doing as they see fit at this time. The two of them are disrespecting God and breaking his commands. Specifically, the second commandment about no idols, which of course they took the money and made an idol. Additionally, Micah installs his son as a priest. Now, Exodus 29 and a good bit of Leviticus have detailed laws about the priesthood and being a Levite was a crucial requirement. Micah's son was not a Levite. Lastly, the priests were to serve at one place only, the tabernacle, which at this time was located in Shiloh, not in Micah's backyard. Micah's desire is to get the Lord in his own pocket, in a shrine that he controls, by doing religion his own way. To Micah, it's all a mystical show. The greater the show, the more he thinks God will bless him. So when a Levite just happens by, Micah wants to add value to his shrine circus with a certified Levite for his priest. Scene two, the story of the lost Levite. Verse seven, a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah said to him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became the priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. 
This Levite is lost in more ways than one. First, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. To understand more of that, go back to Leviticus. Leviticus. If this Levite were a priest, he would be a descendant of Aaron. He is not. I will get to that in a minute. It was the Levite's role to support and serve the priests, and they were given towns in each tribe to educate the tribes in God's law. This Levite is spiritually lost if he thinks he can be a priest. This Levite is also physically lost. It says that he is from Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was not a Levitical town in Judah. So no Levites should be living there. Additionally, we will find out in the next chapter that he is a descendant of Gershom, the son of Moses, not Aaron, which means he is from the Kohathite clan of the Levites. The Kohathites were not given towns in Judah. So not only should he not be in Bethlehem, but this Levite shouldn't even be anywhere in the entire tribe of Judah. The boy is lost and looking for some other place to stay. Micah and the Levite decide to make a match. Micah assumes that his shady shrine has pleased God and therefore God has sent him a priest. The Levite is looking for a life and is happy to play whatever role Micah wants. They are just making up religion as they go. The Levite may be distantly related to Moses, but he hasn't read a word of Moses' last book, Deuteronomy, because his priest pretense at an idolatrous altar is the complete opposite of what God commanded. And that rebellion is contagious. Scene three the story of the just do it Danites. They just do as they see fit. Why? Because they had no king. Chapter 18. In those days, Israel had no king. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zorah and Eshetol to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all the Danites. They told them, go explore the land. So they entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they turned in there and asked him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them what Micah had done for him and said, he has hired me and I am his priest. Then they said to him, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, at peace and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anyone else. When they returned to Zorah and Eshtol, their fellow Danites asked them, how did you find things? They answered, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land and it's very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people in a spacious land that God has put into your hands, a land that lacks nothing whatsoever. Then 600 men of the Danites armed for battle set out from Zorah and Eshtol. 
On their way, they set up camp near Kira Zarim in Judah. This is why the place west of Kira Zarim is called Manaha Dan to this day. From there, they went on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men who had spied out the land of Laish said to their fellow Danites, Do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, some household gods, and an image overlaid with silver? Now you know what to do. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levi at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites armed for battle stood at the entrance of the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods while the priest and the 600 men stood at the entrance of the gate. When the five men went into Micah's house and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods, the priest said to them, What are you doing? They answered him, Be quiet. Don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better for you to serve a tribe and a clan in Israel as a priest rather than just one man's household? The priest was very pleased. He took the ephod, the household gods, and idol and went along with the people, putting their little children, their livestock, and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. When they had gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? He replied, you took the gods I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask what's the matter with you? The Danites answered, don't argue with us or some of the men may get angry and attack you and you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went their way and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. Then they took what Micah had made and his priest and went on to Laish against the people at peace and secure. They attacked them with the sword and burned their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. The city was in a valley near Beth Reob. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their ancestor Dan, who was born to Israel, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. They continued to use the idol Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. The Danai tribe is homeless for one reason, because while all the other tribes fought to drive the Canaanites out of their territory, the tribe of Dan gave up and hid in the hills. Judges 134 says this, The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. So in many ways, the Danites are like the Levite, homeless and alienated from God. Both were told where to live and they rejected it, rejecting God's promise for them. Now they need to fill that void by creating their own rules for a relationship with God. The Danites find the stray Levite working for Micah in his nice little shrine that he made, and they decide it will do nicely for them too. The Levite doesn't hesitate to go with them because this is a major promotion for him. He is rising from a family priest to the priest of an entire tribe. 
both the Danites and the Levite moved to Laish, a territory that is outside of the promised land. So they are moving out of God's promises. They live where they see fit. They worship as they see fit. And in the end, the Danite tribe are placed where God sees fit. Lost for eternity. The tribe of Dan is the only tribe missing from the list of tribes in the book of Revelations chapter 7. How easy it is to go the wrong way. The Levite and the Danites wandered from the truth of God. They could have chosen to center their life on God, His word, His worship, His way. It's a choice we must make too. Are you wandering? Do you know someone who's wandering? Invite them to listen and discuss a season of the Bible Book Club with you. Use this podcast to help them get to know God better. Now, next, the author transitions from the story of Micah and the Danites to the story of another Levite and the Benjaminites. The two stories have several unifying patterns. Both stories follow a geographical pattern. In the first story, there was a Levite in Judah who moves to Ephraim. In the next story, there is a Levite in Ephraim looking for his concubine in Judah. Both stories end with a mention of Shiloh, where God resides, hinting that that is where they should all be rather than roaming around. Now, both stories also follow a progression pattern. In the first story, the action begins with an individual named Micah and progresses to the entire tribe of Dan. In the next story, the action begins with an individual, another Levite, and progresses to the entire nation of Israel. Both stories end up with a larger group, the tribe of Dan in the first story and the nation of Israel in the second, living as they see fit and failing to follow God. The stories paint a poignant picture, the wickedness of the Canaanites is no longer the predominant problem because the wickedness of the Israelites has far surpassed that of the Canaanites. And that is the point of the next very dark story. Scene four, Israel is as wicked and depraved as Sodom. Chapter 19. In those days, Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, but she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her parents' home, and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the woman's father, prevailed on him to stay, so he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. On the fourth day, they got up early, and he prepared to leave. But the woman's father said to his son-in-law, "'Refresh yourself with something to eat, then you can go.' So the two of them sat down and ate and drank together. Afterward, the woman's father said, please stay tonight and enjoy yourself. And when the man got up to go, his father-in-law persuaded him. So he stayed there that night. On the morning of the fifth day, when he rose to go, the woman's father said, refresh yourself, wait until the afternoon. So the two of them ate together. So this Levite's character is already suspect. As a Levite, he of all people should not have a concubine. 
A concubine is a woman who lived with a man as if a wife, but without the same status as a wife, more like a slave and unusually to fill sexual desires. It says the concubine was unfaithful to him. Most commentaries believe that this meant that they quarreled and she was unfaithful because she left in her anger. Or perhaps the Levite was cruel and living with him became intolerable. And that's why she left in her anger. In Genesis, a similar situation occurred when Hagar ran away from Sarah's mistreatment. In any case, the concubine must have been desperate because the penalty of leaving an owner was death and disgrace for her family. Perhaps that is why the father-in-law seems so over-solicitous in trying to accommodate this Levite. Well, it's also reminding me of another scene in Genesis when Jacob goes to get Rachel, but he, the father-in-law keeps telling him, no, just stay, stay another, another, seven seven another seven years. Seven years later, and he's still <laughs> yeah. waiting. Yeah. Um, the father-in-law here may be trying to avoid charges against her for leaving her owner husband. So he just keeps getting him drunk and telling him, exactly. stay, stay, Please stay. Night, stay. Exactly. Because remember, we know from the culture at this time, if you feed someone and house someone, it's They're like they owe you something. You. Yeah. Sadly, there is no mention that either the father or the Levite gave the woman any choice about returning with the Levite. Note that no one in this story has a name. This is interesting, and the commentators talk about this, and they agree there's a reason for this. It is thought that the author wants these men and women to stand for all of their type living in Israel, as if this is how all fathers lived as they saw fit. This is how all Levites lived as they saw fit. This is how all women were treated. And this is how dark and depraved Israel had become. It is a picture that is about to get even more painfully dark. Verse 9. Then when the man with his concubine and his servant got up to leave, his father-in-law, the woman's father, said, Now look, it's almost evening. Spend the night here. The day is nearly over. Stay, enjoy yourself. Early tomorrow morning you can get up and be on your way home. But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went toward Jebus, that is Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. When they were near Jebus and the day was almost done, the servant said to his master, Come, let us stop at the city of the Jebusites and spend the night. His master replied, No, we won't go into the city whose people are not Israelites. We will go on to Gibeah. He added, Come, let's try to reach Gibeah or Ramah and spend the night in one of those places. So they went on, and the sun set as they neared Gibeah in Benjamin. There they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim who was living in Gibeah, the inhabitants of the place were Benjamites, came in from his work in the fields. When he looked and saw the traveler in the city square, the old man asked, where are you going and where did you come from? He answered, we are on our way from Bethlehem in Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim where I live. 
I have been to Bethlehem in Judah, and now I am going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me in for the night. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, your servants, me, the woman, and the young man with us. We don't need anything. You are welcome to stay at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need, only don't spend the night in the square. So he took them into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. Immediately, we know something is wrong. The Levite pushed farther on the journey because he would not stay in a foreign town. Yet when they arrive in the Israelite town of Gibeah, no one offers the customary hospitality. What's going on? Until an old man tells them to come with him because they must not stay in the square at night. And deja vu, we have been here before. Lot had to insist the angels stay with him when they stopped in Sodom way back in Genesis. What could be wrong? The man is a Levite and this is Israel. This is not a Canaanite town. This is not Sodom. It's worse. Verse 22. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. Okay, this is Sodom 2.0. And I never really caught this before. So this is a Bible bender for me. But the owner of the house replies to the mob with almost exactly. And remember, the owner of the house is an Israelite replying to an Israelite mob with almost exactly the same words as Lot in Genesis 19, when he responded to, it wasn't a Canaanite town, Sodom at that point. It was just, you know, a Mesopotamian town of some sort. I don't know what they were. But listen to what Lot said in Genesis 19. It's almost verbatim. Genesis 19, verse six, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do whatever you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. The Israelite owner of the house, like Lot, hundreds of years before, like the Levite, like the concubine's father, sees women as property less valuable than a man. For all of them, the honor of a man must be protected, but a woman's is expendable. This is not how God sees women who are created in the image of God as equally valuable. The point is that Israel has learned nothing from God in hundreds of years. They have been given the covenant, the promise, the laws, the tabernacle, yet they are no different from the Canaanites and have even become like Sodom. Because they do not have a right relationship with God, they treat people and their relationships as they see fit. 
Back to our story in verse 25. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and set her outside to them. And they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out on to continue his way, there lay his concubine fallen in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. The brutality of this scene is magnified by the unemotional disdain of the Levite. He is the one who sends his concubine outside. He does not try to protect her. He does not pray for her. He doesn't even wait up for her. The Levite goes to bed and then gets up to leave in the morning. He doesn't even go out to look for her. He steps out of the house to continue on his way. Was he just going to leave her in this dangerous city to defend herself? Then when the Levite sees her, he callously tells her to get up. He doesn't drop to his knees in concern. He doesn't weep at the sight of her battered body. He doesn't call the owner of the house for assistance to help him. He coldly puts her on the donkey and sets out for home. Did he just throw her over it and tie her on? Or did he hold her? Did she moan in pain with every jolting step? Or did she never regain consciousness? When did she die? Or was she already dead? Which Israelite ultimately killed the concubine? The depraved men of Gibeah or the cruel Levite? This Levite is not finished with his comatose concubine. What this man does next is disturbing. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. Club! New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.